Hello, this is Reverend Erich I'm glad to come to you through this medium. As you listen to the word of God today, I pray that you will be impacted, your life will be transformed, and you experience God. Kingdom blessings. Well, today I share with you a very foundational truth. I call it the dimensions of love. And that's why the song you sang resounded with me. And, and, and when I talk about love, it's, it's, it's exciting because God himself is love. His very essence, his very nature is love. Love is the most foundational and essential component of our relationship with God. In fact, if you don't have love, you don't know God. And if you know God, you will have love. And so this is the overriding essential which must be present at every stage of our journey as children of God. I'm going to read two scripture verses, one from Psalm 82 verse 5 through to verse 7. It says, they know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness and all the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said you are God's and all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. So this verse is referring to the children of Israel and a few of the leaders who shouldn't have died, but they died. And the Bible is diagnosing them, and it says, they know not. I'm sure you can translate it into your local language. It may sound better. But it says, they know not, neither will they understand they walk on in darkness. They keep walking on even though there is light. And all the foundations of the earth are out of course. Foundations should be in place, but their foundations are out of course. In verse 6, God is speaking and says, I have said that you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Lift up your hand and say, I am God. Say, I'm a child of the Most High. I know this, this particular statement, I am God, sounds a bit um, funny. Because we are not used to saying it. But you see, if you are born of an animal, you are an animal. If you take your origin from a plant, you become a plant. If you take your origin from a human being, you become a human being. If you are born of God, you are God. So, what your understanding is, who are you? I am not of human lineage. I take my lineage from the Most High. I'm born again born of the Spirit of God, I am God. Of course, I'm not the big God, but I'm a God on this earth. I rule and I reign. So I am God. And he says, I have said you are gods, but you still don't understand. You still know not. You still walk on in darkness. You still behave like ordinary people. And he says, your foundations are out of course. Now, if you understand foundations, foundations set the limit and the height of your building and the strength of your building. So if your foundations are out of course, it means that your building will not survive. So your foundation is understanding who you are. And in verse 7, he says, but you shall die like men. You shouldn't like, die like men. You shouldn't die like a chicken on a battlefield. But many people are dying like men and are falling like one of the princes. Lift up your hand and say, I refuse to die. In the book of Matthew chapter 22, a lawyer comes to Jesus Christ and asks a question. Master, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law. So typical of lawyers, very academical. He's looking for logical answers. He wants an answer that he can mark as right. But you see, Jesus doesn't deal with correct answers. Jesus deals with life issues. Jesus deals with solution. You can have an answer and not be a solution. You can pass and do well in exams and still not be useful in your society. So the Bible says that this lawyer comes with a rhetorical question. Who do men, sorry, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And then Jesus is going to speak and he takes the answer or the solution beyond answers and logic. And he begins to deal with life issues and he says, this is the first and the great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. So it's no longer about getting an answer. He's now delving into practicalities of your life. What you do. And he's taking the situation beyond arguments. He's taking a lifestyle beyond what you will say and answer and impress people with into a lifestyle that is beyond mere talk. <laughs> our ability to live by the first and great commandment will determine the benefits of our future relationship with God. In the book of John chapter 3 verse 16, God has shown us how much he loves us and is willing to do for us even when we do not deserve it. And so when you read the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 8, it says, For God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners and deserved judgment, God extended a hand of fellowship and showed us his love by sending his only begotten son to pay a price so that we might live. Whilst we were yet sinners, God did not move by his emotions. Whilst we deserved wrath and judgment, God negated his emotions and his feelings towards us, but he extended a hand of fellowship toward us. If you are going to learn to love as a foundation, one of the things you have to start learning to do is not to walk by your emotions. Somebody heard me? God didn't feel it. His nature came out. So if you are going to do things you feel every time, you are going to walk out of the will of God. And many marriages, many relationships must learn how to go beyond feelings. If in my past sins, when I was an alien to the commonwealth of Israel, God showed me so much love, how much more that now that I'm his own beloved child, a saint? I am a product of God's love. God is not against me. God is not angry with me. God loves me and he still loves me. If whilst I was yet a sinner, he could demonstrate that love toward me, how much more now that he has saved me? Is it now that he's going to be angry with me? I don't think so. So the first commandment is actually a proof of how you feel about God. And he says, this is the first. This is the great commandment. The first commandment is not to go to school. The first commandment is not to join a church. The first commandment is not to marry. The first commandment is not to pray. The first commandment it must be obeyed because its principle has great consequences for our future development. God loves you. The question I ask is, God, why do you state that as the first commandment? Because he wants to know whether you love him back. So the question I ask everyone here is, 
And especially in these last days, when the component of love, as prophesied, is going to be missing, that the love of many shall grow cold. Why? Because other things will take the place of God, whether consciously or unconsciously. And so the question God is asking, do you love me back even with all the immense love I've shown you? Would you be bold to stand up? Would you be counted and say, I love God? This love that has grown cold is a love that no longer responds to God as priority. It may still be love, but it's no longer priority. It takes a lot of stirring up to eventually get a very lazy and oftentimes half-hearted, like a discal response from people who go to church. And unfortunately, the love of God has been replaced by a lot of logical thinking. Was it logical for God to love a sinner like me and negate his emotions and go beyond judgment to save me from choco? Am I now going to justify my rationality? And I'm not going to justify. I'm going to be crazy for God and say, I still love him. Because the love that God showed me was a crazy, a crazy love beyond logic and beyond common sense. That he would love a sinner and give his only begotten son to die for him and make me his own. I mean, if anybody in this country had to think of me in Choco, if you had to save anybody, would it be somebody in Ashiaman? Would it be somebody in Ajengule? <laughs> would it be somebody in the slum of, you know, there's Choco Residential <laughs> and then there's Choco Lookout? So, will I even qualify? So, I cannot justify it by rational behavior in the church. I'm going to be crazy. Because when you didn't think of me, when you didn't know me, when I was not in the list of your thoughts, this God. You see, we don't understand why some of us come to church and get crazy. Why we go beset in the presence of God. Because you don't understand where he picked me from. David said, when I was watching sheep and I was the least of my brethren and nobody cared for me, where were you? I don't need to apologize to anybody about this crazy love for God because I can understand it. It is beyond logic. It is beyond a correct answer in church. And it is beyond somebody just standing up and saying, I love God. It has to show in my life the way he showed it to me. Father, bring me back to that awareness. They do not know that journey and they, don't, they do not understand. They still walk on in darkness. Now they want to rationalize my love. My love is crazy. You took me from the miry clay. You took me from watching sheep in a little village. I haven't forgotten. My relationship with God must be reciprocal. It is love without explanation and logic. It is a mystery and I'm prepared to let everything go. To love him. And this is the kind of love I want to talk to you today about. Because we need to understand when God says that this is the first and the great commandment. I'm an object of God's love. And he desires people to love him crazily the way he loves us. We are too logical in church today. We are too conscious of ourselves today. We've forgotten how demons used to chase us. And how we look for God. And when there was no cure and there's no remedy... He showed himself strong on our behalf. So when he says this is the first, this is the great commandment, it strikes a chord in my spirit. Because the, first, the word first means primary or fundamental. You start learning from primary school. 
When you learn the fundamentals and the foundations of a language, arithmetic or science, you begin by learning the alphabet and learning how to count numbers. Why? Because it is primary. It is the beginning. It is the initial. If you don't do primary, I suggest to you, you struggle with secondary and tertiary. So, for example, if you are not able to count and you try to jump primary school into secondary, you will find out that you start struggling in life with algebra and logarithms. You may struggle with other subjects, not because you are a bad person, but because your foundation is weak. Your primary education, your start in life, will determine your future. Secondly, the word first suggests foundations. The foundations you lay will determine the strength and the height of the building. If the foundation is right, the strength and the height of the building will be strong and secure. Many years ago, I happened to travel on one of my first journeys out of the country, and I stood by a building that was just being started. And I looked into the pit, and I saw a bottomless pit. So I called the contractor or the foreman, and I said, why are you digging so deep? And he made a very profound statement. He said, it's because we want to go very high. The first, you want to know why many people are struggling with their Christian lives? Because the first hasn't been the first. Other things have to replace the first. The foundation you lay will determine how high you go. There are people who want to go high. There are people who want to do a lot of great things, but the foundation is weak. And every time they want to go beyond a certain point, the building will collapse. And whatever they are doing will frustrate them as if they were stuck in life. They are unable to go beyond a certain point in life because their foundation is weak. You are not a bad person. You are not a sinner. You haven't committed abortion. You are holy. You are righteous. You haven't committed murder or idolatry. But the basic diagnosis is a weak foundation because the first was not the first. Thirdly, the word first means in order of priority. So if we are talking about a lot of good things, and I'm not, if we put bad things, idolatry, everybody would reject it. But if I began to put good things, four good things, there must be an order of priority. So if I put, for example, sex, which is a good thing, isn't it? All of us here are products of somebody's sexual activity. So sex is a good thing. We're in church, and you need to learn it in church. Marriage is a good thing. Work is a good thing. Education is a good thing. So if I put these four things together, if you do not have an order of priority and you rearrange them in the wrong order, your life will go into chaos. So for example, if you have sex and you marry before you get a job and you try to go to school, all the four things are good. But there's no order. There's no priority. So why are many people going through life struggles? Why are people, because they just haven't learned order. Believe you me, there are more gods in other countries than in Ghana. I mean, if you take the population of Ghana, 30 million. There are countries with 700 million, and they serve more idols. And yet, there's order. There's priority. So if I put God, if I put work, if I put your parents, if I put your car, if I put your father and your mother, and I put your wife or your children, what is your priority? Because if you overturn the priorities and you rearrange it wrongly, you will enter into chaos. I mean, when I was coming, something just occurred to me. Assuming that I came into church, when I was coming to church, I just realized that I woke up late. So in a hurry, I put on my shoes. Then I quickly put on my top. 
Then I realized I hadn't put on my singlet or underwear. So I put my singlet and underwear on top. Then I forgot and realized that I haven't had my bath. So I rushed into the bathroom and put water and soap on myself. Then I remember that having put on my pampas. <laughs> I don't want to use another word. So I go and pick my pampas and put it on and I walk into this place. Have I done, have I sinned? But I look chaotic. And all of you august people will not want me to enter into this room. Not because I've committed murder or abortion or fornication or anything. I'm totally out of order. Look at any country that is out of order. And let's stop praying and bring order back. You don't pray and cast out order. So when you drive through the traffic light, when you join a queue and you are creepy, when you understand where to sit and where not to sit, where to throw rubbish and where not to throw rubbish, why is Adjwingano different from Choco? Choco is one kilometer from Accra. The prime land. Yet people will pay for a place of order. So before we start talking about casting out demons, God says this is the first. This is the great commandment. Your life must be in priority and order. There must be an order in which things must be done so that you don't have misplaced priorities. Poverty is a result of misplaced priorities and practices. And every one of you, in your appreciation of your love for God, you will one day have to choose between God and every other person. Do you love me more than this? If a man cannot leave his father and mother, he is not worthy to be called my disciple. Your father is a good thing. Your mother is a good thing. Your spouse is a good thing. But God says, what is the order for you in your life? Because that order will determine how far you go with him. That order will determine what he does for you. That order is going to determine your quality of revelation you have for him. Most people go through life with struggles because their lives are out of order. Not all struggles in life are the result of clear demonic activities. And so love, loving God is not an option. He himself told us this is the first and the great commandment. Love is a force of life. It does not allow evil to run riot. Principles of love cannot be broken and they guarantee results. So if the foundations are broken, what can the righteous do? What are your foundations of your relationship with the Lord? My relationship with God, I decided long ago, is not going to be need-driven. It's going to be love-driven. I don't come to church because I have a need. In fact, if you met somebody as a young man you're going to marry, and your relationship was just based on what you can get from the person, you tell me whether you like to commit yourself to a person like that for life. And when you start having problems after a few months, you wonder, where is the love gone? But the foundation was not love for the person, but love for the things the person has. The first commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. This is the first. It means that it's primary, it's foundational, it's priority, and it's in order. When I started preaching, 
had to ask myself, did I love the applause of, God, of men? Or was I doing it as a channel of God's love? When I started ministry, I had to test a lot of foundations that I had. If the foundations be destroyed. We should be focusing on loving God. That you wake up in the morning, the first thing that comes, I'm a lover boy. I want to love you with all my heart. I can just imagine rising up in the morning, I still love you. How many of us wake up in the morning and the first thing that comes to our mind is the object of our love? The one who has given us life. The one we live for. Not my work. Not my spouse. Not my children. They are important, but they are not the first. You see, I have to learn how to practice this first thing and make it a part of my love because this is God's commandment. I have to tell my children, you are important, but you are not priority. I have to tell my wife, you are important, but you are not my, you are, you are not my first. My church members are not my, my first. So before I minister, I spend more time with God than with the people. I spend more time with God, with his word. And one of the components of love is time. So do a time analysis. <laughs> oh, yeah. How much time do you spend with somebody you love? Because your time will determine whether it will grow or not. I know for married people, you marry, you live at Jiringano, you wake up 4 a.m., you are out of the house, you come back to sleep, no time. I know you are prospering. By your love for God, your relationships, which is more important than any other thing. Love. You can't, you can't, you can't take love out of anything and expect it to be godly. One of the components of love is intimacy. I'm not so young again, but in all my life on this earth, I am still yet to see two people making love in the open. Because intimacy is private. How much time do you spend with God in your private capacity? Not in the public space. Not when you have the applause of men. How much time do you pray? Not in church. How much time do you worship? And how do you worship? Not publicly. Please forgive me. I'm from Choco. Please forgive me. Don't be angry with me. Pastor Eric loves me. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We pray a lot with our love. We prophesy with our love. We build churches with our love. May we be motivated by love. Amen. And may we be guided by his wisdom. Amen. Is somebody heard me? So the way you access yourself spiritually is not by gifts. Is by love. That you are manifesting more of the love of God. When there is intimacy, God deposits something in you. You carry something. Isn't it? So God will, when you spend time with him, he will put something into you. Because he's omnipotent. Everywhere he touches you, he will make you pregnant. Yeah. And when you carry that thing into your office, hmm, 
when you carry that thing into your community. Because whatsoever is born of God. So now we are coming to the, the dimensions of love. That's just a preamble. Every one of us. I want to be able to come to church and lift up my hands and say, you are the reason why I lift my hands. Why I lift my voice. And why I sing to you. And I want to be able to kneel down and say that this job, Father, you are the reason I'm alive today. I am here to say. Because I remember where he picked me from. If today I'm a managing director. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'm not ashamed of this gospel because I'm a product and a beneficiary of this gospel. Yes, sir. You don't know where I've come from. I'm coming from Choco. If God can take me from Choco and bring me to Achiringano, then he must have done me with something good. So I'm not ashamed. Me, I don't know much, but I won't argue with you. I hear people arguing about God, whether he exists. I hear people arguing about tithe. I hear people arguing about all those things. It doesn't bother me because I'm, it is love-driven. When I give to God, I give to under him. I don't care your arguments. Maybe you are educated, you can argue. But when I needed help and I knew how God taught me how to give my tithe, where were you? You are now a lawyer come to ask me what's the great commandment. I'll take you into a subject of love. Not arguments. There are three dimensions. There are four, but I'm going to give you three today. Wow. Only have 90 minutes. I can't believe this. The first dimension of love is a dimension of passion and zeal and sex, physical activity. The second dimension of love is a dimension of commitment and responsibility. And it thrives with communication. I'm not talking about marriage today, so let me just move on. So you can start a relationship and there's a lot of zeal and there's a lot of passion. It's a first dimension. But if you stay at that dimension, <laughs> it's just like driving a manual shift car in first gear. It may be a fresh car. It will stop. And after a while, you get bored and you think church is just routine because there's nothing else for you. You don't know how to shift your gear to second. The second gear is commitment where you join a department and you begin to be responsible in the church. That will thrive with communication. Hmm. But again, if you drive a car, a, a car in second gear, after a while, the car will not. So I see people who are committed to church. They've joined a department. They are doing well. They come to church regularly. But I'll tell you something. After a while, you get bored. You get tired. You get tired with the choir because you are committed. You get tired with men. If you are not careful, you start quarreling. There will be infighting because you must shift to the third gear. Hmm. The third gear of love, the dimension of love is a, a, what I call sacrifice. You see, sacrifice is important because you can never access the presence of God without a sacrifice. Sacrifice will open doors for you that your, your commitment cannot open. 
Sacrifice will take your marriage to another level that your commitment. I know you are committed to your spouse. You pay school fees for your children. You are committed. But you still are having a certain level or a certain type of challenges because there's a level higher than just commitment and responsibility. And I want to take you quickly into the dimension of sacrifice. Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friend. So there's love, there's great love, and then there's greater love, and then there's greatest love. So the fact that you are in love doesn't mean you'll survive. Because a certain group of people left their first love. They started passionately, aggressively, but they didn't survive because they didn't know how to shift. So you must learn the mechanics. I told you, the quality of your revelation will depend on the level of relationship you have with him. God doesn't reveal everything to everybody. So you find even Jesus Christ looking at his disciples and saying, henceforth, I no longer call you servants. Now I call you friends. It's a higher level of relationship. And because of that, I'm going to tell you things that the servants don't know. So you can be in the house of God and just relate with him as a servant and there are some things you will not know. The parable of the talents. There were people who came and said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter. If they hadn't been faithful, they, have, they would have stayed behind the door. God looks at Abraham and says, now I call you a friend. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? So there are things that God reveals to Abraham. He doesn't reveal to everybody. So we can all be in the same church all in the same company, but they are factory workers and they are boardroom workers. I see Paul saying, I went up by revelation. What the Lord told me about the Gentiles, he didn't reveal to the other apostles. And this is why I respect Pastor Eric so much. Because I talk to him and I see a man of revelations. I see a man, a man who has broken certain barriers. You see, when Jesus Christ came, he worked miracles, isn't it? He fed the 5,000, he raised the dead, he cleansed lepers, etc., etc. But the only way he was going to access the presence of God was to tear down the veil with a sacrifice. Listen, if you don't enter into the arena of sacrifices, you'll be stuck. If you look at the tabernacle, the layout of the tabernacle, the entrance, only one, showing that Jesus is the way. But the first thing that meets you at the tabernacle is the altar of sacrifice. Because you can't bypass the altar of sacrifice and get to the shoe bread and the candlesticks without something dying on that altar. I'm excited about this altar. But there are many people who are serving God out of convenience. Huh? We've gotten to a point where we choose, you see, there are alternatives, but we choose God. I go to church as a sacrifice. I pray as a sacrifice, not convenience. I don't go for all nights because I'm, I'm not feeling sleepy. I don't fast because, I'm, as for me, I can, I'm, I'm not hungry. You know, I can go, but I make it a sacrifice. Because when something is laid on that altar and it's a sacrifice. <laughs> because with a sacrifice, blood is shed. And the voice of blood cries out. And because blood is taken out of us, it's no longer human beings that are communicating. Because the spirit must not communicate. And so when you brought an offering to the high priest, he'll meet you at the gate and take it. But before he does it, he'll, Leviticus chapter 1 verse 4, he says that lay your hands on that. 
And then he will, you will transfer everything about your humanity into that thing. And then he will sacrifice it on the altar. What does it mean? Substitutionary offering. Then you can walk past and access the presence of God. We, we are no longer at the place of convenience. I know there are a lot of things competing with your time. But we choose to be in the presence of God. I know there are a lot of competing things with our money. But we choose to give. And there are some of you here, because of competing things, you've never brought a sacrifice. Nothing about God is a sacrifice. You are a big man in town today. So everything is convenience. You look after everything, but this is the first. So even dancing is no longer a sacrifice. When we're growing up in church, in fellowship, you should see those of us who didn't have shoes. We dance. In fact, when you look at the story of the prodigal son, it says, when, is it the prodigal son? It says, when they were coming, they heard dancing. They didn't see it. They heard it. It meant the dancing was aggressive. I grew up going to fellowship with a bottle and a, a fork and a whistle. And I remember one day I was going to church. I was going to fellowship. And a sister looked at my shoes and says, Bra Bernard, shoe less and no chucky. Today she's my friend. That was all I had. Why didn't you come to church? The lights are out. You haven't seen, you haven't seen chocolate concert party. When they walk into church, their dresses are not ironed. That's what they have. You haven't seen dancing, that is a sacrifice, like David danced. You haven't seen clap, let's all clap our hands. Hey, you are too deep, low. <laughs> Shout out to God. Hey. Let's pray. You don't know where God has picked us from. You don't understand. You don't know my journey. They walk on in darkness. When they shouldn't die, they die. When you are gods and you should be able to access mysteries and bring divinity into your life and let the presence of God be manifest. Many years ago, I got my first job in the bus as a manager, Lever Brothers. I'll open, that's Dick's Bible. I'll just open the Bible and start speaking in tongues in the bus. Everybody knew me as we faith. I entered to deliver brothers. There was no fellowship. I started a, a fellowship for managers. Brought people from ports and harbors to come and join our fellowship. Outreach. My boss is going with me on supervisory duties. My Bible is open and I'm speaking tongues in the car. What has changed? What has changed? What has happened to us? Where you can dance again and dancing and just gamble before God and just, I, I don't see kneeling. I don't see proscone. I don't see people falling before God. Because today we are blessed. We have trousers. We have shoes. The first and the great commandment. You see, and if you carry it into your relationship, I don't want to talk a lot about marriage today, but if you carry, you see, husbands, when you sacrifice, it's painful. You look like you are not wise. 
a wife, when you sacrifice, see, there is something you begin to touch because this is a God of sacrifice. He's the one who initiated sacrifices. So when you see a sacrifice in any way, if you are learning in school and you sacrifice to learn, he will reward you. If you are working and you sacrifice in your business, he will reward you. If you are serving God and you sacrifice in your serving God, he will reward you. He cannot overlook a sacrifice. He cannot. But it's sad to see Christians sacrificing for secular things and not bringing it into the church. My mom was a Methodist. We lived in Yaniba. Every morning by 4 a.m., she would wake up and walk to Osu. Traffic light. And go and pray for early morning mass and come back. Try waking me up. Try waking me up. There was a year I could count the number of times I ate. There was a year every single night I had an all night. Every single night. I had an all night. When people, every single night I was up. You see, you can't access the presence of God with convenience. I can't believe my time is running. Wow. Wow. Maybe second service, I'll go a bit further. But you see, a sacrifice is, is, is God-ordained. He says that, listen, someone, is it what, someone 26 or something? He says that they that sow in tears, <laughs> Charlie, that thing they pin you to come to church. Sacri- Charlie, sometimes you walk. You put aside your money because, Charlie, no, I'm, I'm going to give an offering. Not, not my leftover. Not what I can spare conveniently. Not when I finish budgeting for every other things. But it's going to be a sacrifice. David is going to war. Not his, his, he, he's provoked by the devil. And he makes a mistake and he begins to number the Israelites. And God himself is angry with David. And David doesn't know what to do. So David is crying and he's praying. He doesn't seem to have an idea of what to do. And everybody around is being slaughtered and being killed because God has passed divine judgment in 2 Samuel chapter 24. And so people are dying around him. What must he do? He doesn't know. The worshiper, the king, doesn't know what to do. And at that point, it's not just prayer by mouth. So God sends an angel to talk to God. And God goes to David and says, Charlie, this one is not just by mouth. He says, there must be a sacrifice. I know you pray, but unless there's a sacrifice on an altar, where negotiation with heaven and there's divine trafficking, some things don't happen. You know why it's difficult to give money? Because money is a measure of your life. So when you take your money, you have actually taken your life and place it on an altar. So the money you give is actually a measure of how you see your life. Is it your leftover? I stood in front, a lady came to me a few years ago, said, Pastor, I've been married, I can't have a child. We struggled for two years with a lot of difficulty. I called a young lady and I called the husband. I said, Charlie, this one, give me a sacrifice. So this lady goes to confer with her husband and then they come back and they say, Pastor, I will give so much money. I looked at the money 
And I looked at myself. I said, what matter have I put myself into? God. How do I know it was a sacrifice? Because it was two months' salary for both of them. And they couldn't pay, they couldn't bring the money at once. So they actually divided it. And so when they gave me the first, I said, God, this one, how am I going to disgrace myself if you don't do anything? I prayed my intestines out. And I said, God, if this word is true, let this altar and this sacrifice speak. After two months, they went back. After one year, I was out there to dedicate their baby. After three years, I dedicated another child. Because not everything is convenient. But a sacrifice will open and tear the veil and usher you beyond the veil. The only thing that will take you, because there's a veil that blocks whether you are working miracles, whether you are feeding 5,000 or not, the only thing that will tear the veil is the blood of the spotless Lamb of God on that mercy seat. It must cost you. It must cost you. And when it costs you, he will give you something costly. So they that sow in tears shall. They shall. So we are not going to look at the tears. We are going to look at the reward. When I'm going through school and there's no money, there's no food, my parents are not giving me money, I don't go and I say that I won't learn. I know it's a pain. It's discomforting. It's a sacrifice. Why? Because I know that if I finish and I pass that school, the job, the eternal weight of glory that is revealed will be, will be much more than the light afflictions we've gone through. It will be much more. Why do I pray the way I pray? Because I know the reward of my prayer is much more than the struggle of my prayer. Why do I persist in fasting? Because I know that the reward of my fasting is much more than the excuse to eat at 12. The first commandment. May God bring back love into the church. May we see a people who are crazy with no apology to the world. They don't know what we are going through. When, we have, when God has blessed and saved us and multiplied us, then they can argue about tithe on radio. Let them stay there. But as for me, when there was nobody and I learned how to tithe my 10 cities, my 20 cities, and God watched my faithfulness and promoted me, now that I'm a managing director, is my pastor going to be a radio presenter? Of course not. Because it's an experience. I want to provoke you. I want to challenge you. Me, Ade Choko. But I'm not ashamed to lift up my hands and sing. I'm not ashamed to lie on the floor and roll down, even on the sand. By God's grace, you have a carpet. I'm not ashamed to stand up and say, ah, me who near me, yeah, no. I'm not ashamed to come to church and, and just gamble and dance before God because. You have no idea. He still loves me. Sometimes I want to be emotional. Sometimes I want to cry. When I think of all the pain that I've caused him inside. But he still loves me. One of the prayer I prayed and I told God. Never let my past mistakes catch up with me. My you. 
na mimi yeboniefo when i stand here dancing i have a cause to rejoice i wish i could have shown you a lot of scripture verses if you permit me at the second service i'll do a bit more teaching and show you how a sacrifice will take you to the next level of your life and why you must go beyond convenience in serving God. I pray that you will present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It will not be a living convenience. It will be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That you may be able to prove. You see, when you start sacrificing, you don't need somebody to teach you the will of God. Because by sacrifice, you'll be able to know the will of God. Jesus looked at Peter and rebuked him and said, Peter, you don't understand the things of God. I'm going to die and sacrifice and you are trying to stop me. He called him a devil because it's only the devil who's anti-sacrifice. I want to push you to a higher level of service. I want to provoke you to go extra. Excellent choir, but there's a more excellent sacrifice. Excellent protocol team. I envy you. I'll take a picture of you and straight to Choco. But there's a more excellent sacrifice. Excellent church. But we can reach for more. May Jehovah capture your hearts and take all of you to the next level. Put your hands together for the Lord in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you. By the rod of a higher priesthood, I stretch forth my hand over your people. And I declare that every captivity be broken. I declare that your people be set loose into sacrifice to the next level of assignment for the kingdom. I pray that this church shall be great. It shall be move forward. It shall become very great. There shall be possessions, O oh God. In the name of Jesus, stir up the hearts of your people into love, into greater dimensions of service. Let your people know you. Give them revelations beyond their understanding. Take them into higher dimensions of your grace. I pray in the name of Jesus that your light will shine. Your light will shine. Show them what to do. Show them how to escape evil. Show them how to win the battles ahead. Father, let your grace abound in this place. Jesus' mighty name. You are the reason Why I lift my voice Why I sing to you You are the reason I'm alive today 